In order to retire successfully, you'll need vision. You'll also need a plan to execute that vision. Welcome to Retirement Pathfinder with Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky. On today's show, we'll give you the tools you need to navigate unique challenges you'll face in retirement. It's time to chart your financial future. Retirement Pathfinder starts now. Glad to have you in here on the Retirement Pathfinder podcast. I'm Ben George alongside Phil Gusky and Barbara Lane. They are retirement income planning specialists. You'll find them at Pathfinder Wealth Management. And you'll find them online at pathfinderadvisory.com. Got a good mailbag edition of the podcast. Uh, we do this from time to time. We take your questions and put them all into one episode. We go through a wide variety of financial planning topics. So hopefully there'll be something along the way that'll pique your interest a little bit more. And uh, you'll learn a little bit as well through this episode. So welcome in, Barbara and Phil. How's everything? Good. How are you doing, doing Ben? Doing well. Doing I'm, well. I'm man. doing well. Also, I uh, I, I know that, that, Phil, you came across a, an article recently uh, called uh, about respecting millennials, right? Yes. Yeah. Definitely respecting millennials. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, you know, we, we're not going to we're not going to make any derogatory comments about millennials, you know, graduating from college and then spending the rest of their days in their parents' basement <laughs> on, on the computer. We're not going to talk about video games and that type of thing. You know, really, this article was uh, published by Brian Westbury, who's uh, somebody we follow. He's the chief economist at um, First Trust Financial. And the name of this article is, is Respect Millennials. We'll just go ahead and capsulize it here for you. But it's really interesting to see uh, how these generations uh, we have, we have three generations we're going to talk about here, how they've accumulated wealth and how quick it took to do that. So the first generation, of course, Ben, uh, it's called the baby boomer generation. And that's for folks that are born between 1946 and 1964. Next, we have the Generation X, Gen X, uh, and that's between 65 and 80. And then finally, the Millennials, which were born anywhere from 1981 to 1996. So, so how do these particular generations stack up with regard to net worth, okay, accumulating wealth? And so if you look at the baby boomers, the baby boomers have, according to the, um, basically the government statistics, uh, 51.4% of all the net worth in the country but yet they only represent 21% of the population. And so they're, you know, they're accumulating a lot of wealth here. Uh, Generation X, uh, they represent uh, about 28.6% of the U.S. wealth, but millennials are lagging way behind. So here's where we can kind of poke a little fun at them. Uh, they are 22% of the population, yet they've only accumulated 5.6% of net worth. Oh, I guess they are down in the basement, right? <laughs> but not so fast because uh, that information is kind of misleading. What we have to do is we have to kind of look and see where they are at or where they've been at different age groups. Okay, so let's take a look at this. So baby boomers, believe it or not, Ben, baby boomers have an average net household net worth, get this, of $1.629 million. It sounds huh. so high, doesn't it? It does, yeah. but you got to realize that Jeff Bezos is in there. Well, <laughs> you know, that's what drives it up, right? No, no fair. Yes. Yeah, no fair. <laughs> uh, Gen Xers now have $1.18 million, but they've got, thanks to Elon Musk, he's in that group, right? <laughs> but Gen Xers, okay. Uh, they have, uh, you know, they're, they're lagging behind here. We'll talk a little bit about them, but, but let's kind of uh, level the playing field here and talk about boomers compared to Gen Xers. Okay. If you go back to age 48, guess who is ahead? Well, the uh, Gen Xers actually had $1.1 million, whereas the baby boomers, 730,000. Mm, so they're actually, they're actually accumulating wealth faster, Barb. 
Yeah, technology, you think, huh? Well, that's got a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. Now, now, so we, we can't really compare the uh, boomers to the uh, uh, millennials because they haven't gone that far down the pike yet. But if we're comparing, let's say, the, uh, the Gen Xers to millennials, what we see here, we have to go all the way back to age 32, the Gen Xers, okay, at that point, Gen Xers uh, have accumulated 158000 in net worth at that point at age 32, whereas millennials, get this, $196,000. Mm. So the millennials are beating the Gen Xers at that age, and then the Gen Xers are beating the baby boomers. So, yeah. so wealth is accumulating quickly here. It's advancing very, very quickly. And like you said, Barb, I think it's got a lot to do with technology. It's made it more efficient. People are making money faster. Uh, the process is, is accelerated greatly. So it's important to recognize yeah. that millennials yeah. don't have it as bad as we think, and we should kind of lighten up on some of the <laughs> criticism, don't you think? Yeah, younger ages are more productive. That's right. That was interesting. Yeah, <laughs> that is go. true. Yeah, they're they're not all living at home and not productive and spoiled and <laughs> like you're hearing. So That's right. Yeah. That, was, that, was, that was good information. Yeah. So Ben, we'll hand it back over to you. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, it's, it's interesting because like they, they are, they're in a different, completely different world than even, you know, people coming out yeah. of college 20 years ago are in. You yes. Know, and, uh, things mm -hmm. have changed dramat dramatically. And and uh, they'll they'll adapt, and I'm sure they'll they'll be just fine. It's just things are different. They always will be. So yep. that is interesting yep. information, though. Thanks for sharing that, Phil. All right, let's mm -hmm. jump into our mailbag today. Again, if you have questions for us, we'd love to hear from you. You can send them in through the website pathfinderadvisory.com, or just you can call directly to Barbara and Phil if you want to talk to them. If you'd prefer to do that, you can also visit pathfinderchat.com. But we have a few to want to get to today that I thought were very interesting, and love to hear your input on these. Let's start off with Joel. He says, I know that I need an emergency fund, but instead of keeping money in a savings account, can I just use my home equity line if I need money in a pinch? Well, I am so glad that you had asked this question, Joel, because it seems like a simple question. But while it's true that you can tap your line of credit, I wouldn't substitute that for an emergency fund. And plus, if you haven't or you've never used your line of credit, there's a process and that could take at least a couple of weeks. So remember the purpose of an emergency fund and that is supposed to be available for just that, for emergencies. I don't know your age, Joel, but in these uncertain unemployment times, if you're still working, I would at least set up three to four months of pay to have available in case you're laid off or you're ill or you have an accident. You need to protect yourself. Now, granted, banks aren't paying much of an interest these days, but I wouldn't be so concerned about that as I would about not having a backup at all. Some banks will pay a little higher rate on a money market account with minimum balance restrictions. Once you've accumulated enough in a savings account, you can transfer that over to a money market account. As the old saying goes, pay yourself first. So even if you're saving in a retirement account, you should also plan for today and it'll keep you from using a credit card for emergencies. Yeah, Joel doesn't tell us how old he is here, but if he's entering retirement stages, I, I don't really want to see too many people enter that stage with a lot of debt right. over their head. So yeah, I would say the home equity line, and we've had some clients have gone for those, but um uh, you know, paint it back. Last resort. It's, it's got to be the last resort. Yes. Yeah. Great question. Thank you for that, Joel. All right. How about Jackie? She says, I never hear anything from our financial advisor unless I call him myself. And this bothers me. Should I be bothered or is this okay? Yeah. Thanks for asking that question, Jackie. Um, yes, you should be bothered by the fact your communication seems to be only one way here. But is this what you agreed to at the beginning of your relationship with your advisor? You know, is it possible that you uh, gave your advisor instructions way back when that sounds something like this? Please give me a call if you plan on making any changes. So in this case, the advisor might be thinking, well, everything is fine again this year with Jackie's account. 
Uh, we can we keep in touch with her by way of birthday cards, anniversary cards, podcasts, our newsletter, invitations to our client uh, brunches. I'm not making any changes for Jackie, so her portfolio is good to go. Well, what have we said there? We're only going to contact her if, if she uh, needs to know changes. about changes, mm-hmm. right? Another reason why clients get discouraged and often leave is because their expectations are not met. So Jackie, uh, when you said you never hear from your advisor unless you call them yourself, that can be a message that you're sending to the advisor that sounds like this. You know, I'm sure Jackie has her many concerns. Uh, she will call me as her advisor uh, when she has, as she'd done before, and she does it often. And it seems that we always address her concerns to her satisfaction. So in this case, Jackie, you may be unwittingly training your advisor to believe that you are responsible for initiating the calls. Mm. In the advisor's mind, they might be thinking, well, no calls, no problems, uh, happy client, mm-hmm. right? Everything is well. So the best way to resolve this issue is to initiate a call and express your expectations, but be very specific uh, whether you're to call, have them that conversation quarterly, semi-annually, annually, whether it's a contact by phone, face-to-face. So make sure that your expectations are also mutually agreed upon. Make sure you understand them. And now I say mutually agreed upon because uh, he has to agree to, to your particular expectations as well. If he doesn't, you need to modify this somewhat. So my final advice to you, Jackie, is once you've done this, but you find that the advisor is really not meeting up to their part of the agreement, give us a call to see if we can provide a better experience for you. Yeah. And uh, it, it is about expectations. When mm-hmm. I have a new client, I'll set up in our system to call them every three to four months, just and I'll let them know that I'll be in touch with them throughout the year. And we get together once a year and, and I'm certainly available at other times if they choose to come and talk about anything. And then, you know, I think you have to know what's going on in your clients' lives with their health, mm-hmm. with their family, their grandkids, their pets. <laughs> you know, they they simply want to know that you care. Yeah, they want the personal touch is really what they're looking for here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, again, know what the expectations are for the advisor. Um, the advisor contacting you before you become a client is a very important conversation to have. For someone that maybe is in this situation, um, like Jackie, that says, well, I'd like to talk to another advisor just to get some thoughts and just to hear what they have to say, but is maybe worried, like, I don't want to call and then have to be committed to that and then have that kind of mm. awkward, like, back and forth. What does that look like for somebody that calls you guys and says, hey, listen, I, I'm just not sure if I'm comfortable with my advisor right now. I'm just kind of looking to find more information. What kind of, what does that meeting entail for you guys? Yeah, I think that's a valid question. I, and that all starts with a real simple phone call too, Ben. Okay. Uh, they can just call us for 15 minutes and you know we'll find out what, what information, what's their, what are their concerns. And then uh, if it makes sense, we'll have them come into the office. But just to begin with, just a 15-minute mm-hmm. phone call and, and there's no commitment uh, on either side at that point. Okay, very good to know. Thank you for that, Jackie. Again, pathfinderchat.com. You can set up a 15-minute call if you want to get more information from Barbara and Phil. Miriam is our next question here on the podcast today. My husband was born in the 50s, but for some reason, his attitude towards money is is like that, some sort of Great Depression-era survivor. <laughs> I really think we've saved enough for retirement, but he's convinced that we both need to keep working forever while also never indulging ourselves with any spending over and above the basics. Is there a way to fix this? That's a good question. Kind of a funny Mr. question. Mr. Tankwide, I think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she talks about indulging in, 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 uh, for herself and him from a Great Depression era survivor. But um, this tells me that your husband is a saver, Miriam. And when you're preparing for retirement, you mentioned that you think you have enough. Without you both knowing that you can successfully retire, you'll be at odds with your spending. 
This is a good question, though, because one of the, it's one that we see quite often. And people ask us, can I retire? And will I have enough money in retirement? You need a retirement income plan, an actual plan. And this doesn't have to be a 50-page document. In fact, it's the opposite. The questions are, what are your ages? What do you have for assets in all accounts, not just retirement accounts? And the most important question are, what are your annual expenses? The expenses are the driver of your retirement accounts and will determine if you can retire now or when. I once had someone tell me that their neighbor can retire and why can't she? Huh. Everyone has a unique situation and what they've saved, their social security, their pension, their age, their health. So figure out what you and your husband would like to do once you retire. You know, what does that look like for hobbies for, for you, for your, you and your husband? We have hobbies together separately, vacation, seeing the grandkids, and then put a dollar figure to that. And that along with all of your living expenses and taxes and inflation and growth, then we would project out to age 100 to see if your lifestyle supports it. This is a good question because we hear people often saying, I think I can retire. Well, based on current lifestyle expectancy, you have to know. It's not a time to guess. You only get one retirement. So reach out to us at pathfinderchat.com for a 15-minute call. Yeah, it really is not as easy as what people think, Barb. Um, it, it takes a lot of planning. It takes a lot of expertise. You need another set of eyes looking at it. You know, and I always tell my clients that, you know, once you are in retirement, you are really writing your own paycheck, aren't you? That's true. You're, you're not having it come from an employer. It's not coming from, you know, the that particular uh, job you had. You're writing your own paycheck. And so you have to sharpen the pencil, make sure you got an race around the end. Uh, does anybody use pencils anymore, by the way? Uh, um, <laughs> not those kind. <laughs> I don't think so. Not the number twos. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a fair call. Yeah, that's right. So make sure you, <laughs> you sharpen up the computer if that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know, I think what gives uh, clients, our clients, Bill, a peace of mind is an income plan, an actual plan. You know, they, we can say that based on these projections and what we know today, you know, given what happens in stock market and so forth, your expectations for a successful retirement are this, but then they know that. They know that. Yeah. They, they really need to know that uh, there's a really high probability that they're going to be able to support their income in retirement. We use a number of like 85% probability, which- For success. Yes. yes for success. That's correct. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you for that, Muriel. I do appreciate that. You got to find that compromise and someone like Barbara and Phil can help you with that uh, for sure. Olivia is our last question on the podcast today. She says our long-term care premiums are going up this year and pretty significantly. Should we just pay the extra cost or should we cancel it and take our chances? Olivia, this is really kind of interesting. You asked this question or we have it in our mailbag today because I'm holding in my hand and Barbara is looking at right now, a it's actually a statement from an insurance company. I'm not going to name the, the carrier, but it shows us that there are some premium increases. And I'm looking at one particular client here who has been with us for 10 years and uh, the premiums were the same during that period of time for long-term care insurance. But over the next three years, they're going to go up a whopping 73%. Listen that's huge. That. That's a huge amount. So in the case of this client, they'll go from $3,017 to $52.26. That's a huge increase. Yeah. And so why is this happening? Well, this seems to be a trend in the long-term care insurance industry. In fact, there's only a handful of players left that really tackle this industry. You know, I've addressed this problem with several clients uh, who claim that these companies are merely just being greedy, trying to gouge the client, take advantage of the consumer. You know, once they've got the plan, they got them. Well, no, that's not the case. The truth of the matter is that the insurance companies are directed to raise their premiums by state regulators. 
in order to cover both current claims and the reserves that they must set aside for future claims. So it is already set in concrete. They have to raise those particular premiums. It's not the fault of the insurance company. Mm -hmm. It seems that mortality or morbidity is extending the lives of baby boomers. So the wonderful thing about modern medicine is that we're all going to live to 120, right? Ben, maybe Ben's age, you know, maybe 140. (laughs) Man, but uh, something. Yeah, but if you don't have the quality of life, because, you know, as they say, you know, baby boomers are extended, they have an extended life expectancy here, but they're getting sicker quicker. See, they're entering these nursing homes at at accelerated rates that weren't really expected due to poor choices of Mm -hmm. lifestyle, diet, exercise, lacking, that type of thing. Yeah. So, uh, Olivia, that's that's the bad news. Now, now here's some of the positive side of it. The companies are also permitting policyholders to adjust either premiums or coverage to better meet their budgets. So in the example we're talking about where this gal, um, is, her premiums are gonna be going up, the policy started out back uh, 10 years ago at $100 per day coverage in a nursing home, $100 per day. But because she had something called an inflation rider on the policy, she now has coverage of $162 a day uh, for each nursing home that she, or any nursing home she'd go to. But the increase in the uh, coverage was due to this inflation rider. So if she were to cut back that particular rider, and go back to $100 per day, then she'd bring the premiums back down to where they were previously. So that's one way to do it. So they can Mm -hmm. either adjust the the premium back that way or adjust the the coverage or both. So Olivia, I do not recommend to you to drop Mm -hmm. that plan due to the increase in the premiums. I seldom recommend a client drop a long-term care plan unless or until we explore all the options your company may be offering. So there might be some alternatives here. So give our office a call. And we will give you uh, some time to explore any premium reductions the company is offering you uh, at either pathfinderchat.com or give us a call on our, on our landline at 815-399-9806. Yeah, I mean, we're on the same page with that too, Phil. I've yeah. had from time to time people come in and say, well, do I still need this? And I've seen some come in with very limited coverage. But my answer is always do not do not cancel no. it. You know, reduce the benefits, withdraw the COLA. Um, remember why you purchased long-term care to begin with, it's to protect your assets. The premiums are going to increase, but you could, if you live a long life and at the end of your life, you need the help, that's when you'll be glad you have it. And this is especially true if you're married. Now you have two lives that could end up needing some help in the nursing home, or even at the very least in assisted living or in-home health care. It would depend on your policy, what your policy covers, of course. If you have kids, you probably don't want to place that burden on them. I know I don't want to with my daughter. Yeah. You know, the other thing about it too, Barb, I've seen these particular uh, proposals come in where they could either adjust the premium or the coverage or both. And they are some somewhat complicated to, to kind of weed through. And so, you know, I've helped uh, a number of people go through those particular processes and, and pick really what is uh, substantially the correct premium with the correct amount of coverage, and uh, but it takes a little bit of expertise to help lead them through that. So that's why they need to call call us about that. Yeah. It's not always about reducing costs by reducing benefits. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm assuming this is a question a lot of people are probably asking right now, right? So Olivia's not Oh, alone. yeah. No, there's, there's an, in fact, actually on the sheet of paper, I've got, uh, I've got eight people, eight clients wow. where that's going to be an increase. Oh boy. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's the sign of the times people are going in sicker and quicker. And so that's what's happening. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I, I would get people saying, why are they, why, basically, why are they doing this to me? Or why are they, you know, the, the, they, like you said, they, they're being singled they're out, being singled out yeah, but yeah. that's not, that's yeah. not legal for the insurance companies to do that. They have to look at, I tell them this is a geographical area of policy it's, holders it's and, and you're just in that. Right. So. 
Well, good stuff as always. Thanks for the questions, Joel, Jackie, Miriam, and Olivia. If you have one for us, we'd love to hear from you. Please send it in to us. Pathfinderadvisory.com is the website. Um, If you don't want to talk with us and don't want to put it out on the show, you can want to talk with Barbara and Phil directly. That's fine, too. You can go to pathfinderchat.com, set up that 15-minute chat, schedule that now, or call them directly, 815-399-399. 9806. So keep the mailbag questions coming. We do appreciate all the support. And please subscribe to the Retirement Pathfinder wherever you listen. We have two new episodes every single month. Barbara and Phil, look forward to our next one. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Appreciate Thank you. It. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.